what we think about the most is what we care about the most. And so the scriptures teach us that the greatest commandment requires us to love the Lord with all our minds. Because as we saw last Lord's Day, God wants all of our devotion. But he also tell us that for the person who keeps his or her mind stayed on God, God keeps that person in perfect peace. So, in this passage before us this morning, our Lord takes this action that actually seems rather mundane. It seems common. And so, you might think unworthy of religious or divine attention. But he takes it and transcends it to an act of worship, an act worrying that demonstrates the difference between the disciple, the follower of Jesus, and those who do not serve him, those who do not know him. The way we use our capacity for worry, um, being an a means of demonstrating the difference between the childlike trust that a believer has in their heavenly father and the trust that shows that we do not know him. Jesus teaches us to not worry. And backing up what I've just said is the implication that is present in what you might say is a logical connection between what what we're reading today and what we saw last week. Last week, we saw, we listened to Christ's words and uh, that, that spoke about having undivided loyalty to God or our allegiance being to God, um, treasuring God above all things, if you want. And Jesus Christ begins this next section, Matthew 6 and uh, verse 25, saying, therefore, I tell you, right? As one, one person has said, when you see a therefore, in the Bible, you need to ask what it is there for, right? What's it there for? It's the, it is, so, so, so why is there a therefore here? Jesus Christ is connecting this section of the Sermon on the Mount to what's gone on before. Treasuring God. You, you're to treasure God above all things is what Christ has told us in the last section. If that's the case, then the focus of our minds, our worry, should also be the things of the kingdom, Right? Uh, if, uh, if all our allegiance is to God and all our lives are to God, um, then that should be reflected in what we think about the most and what we worry about the most and what preoccupies us and what concerns us. And Jesus Christ says, let, that, let it be on my kingdom where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves don't break in. Right? Don't focus it on this earth where all these things are fleeting. Your worries should be the worries of the kingdom, right? So Jesus shows us that worry is actually an important part of Christian discipleship and devotion. Now, it means then that this is teaching about our walk with God. You see those verses, don't worry, that you heard me read earlier. Don't be anxious about anything, about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. God will provide for you. You are more value than the birth. Those are comforting words, probably on any level. But the command to not worry is not here kind of uh, positive therapeutic advice. Christ's primary concern is with your own walk with God. This is something that Christ is teaching us so that we might be more faithful to God so that we might know God more. How we worry is an indication, what we do with our worry is an indication of whether we have known God or not. Is an indication of whether we're close to God, whether we're trusting God. So you can't just take this up, Christ's words here, and apply them to your lives, you know, and you start writing statuses anyhow, you know, people say, oh, don't worry about anything. It might not apply to you if you're not a disciple. It applies to a disciple. It doesn't apply to you if you don't see how these words are meant to make you see that you should be walking closely with God. If, those, if these words don't transport you to a place of worship, 
then you haven't really grasped their meaning. So what that means is it's important for us to understand what Christ is saying. Because as I said, worry seems like such a common idea for us today. It's, it's high commodity as well, to be honest, in our, in our society, in our culture today. Folks are really concerned about worry. Um, folks are really concerned about anxiety. And if you hear me speak about being anxious for things today, and it takes a turn that you are not expecting, maybe it's because you're not used to the words of Jesus these are Christ's words about what worry means. And so it's important to be clear and to remove certain misconceptions. For example, when Jesus Christ teaches us here not to worry, when Christ says, don't worry, don't be anxious about your life, when he says, don't be anxious about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, he's not commending Laziness, for example. There's, a, there's a, a man who doesn't worry about those things. A woman doesn't worry about those things because they're lazy. Right? They don't want to do the hard work of thinking, of being organized, of planning. Right? Christ is not commending that. He's not comparing the kind of laziness that means we don't plan ahead of things. Right? Um, you can't claim this promise whilst being lazy. The Bible, over and over again, the Bible rebukes laziness. Um, he who does not work must not eat, are the words of the church of Christ. So it's not commending laziness. It's not saying that we don't have to work hard as believers. Neither is this passage condoning careless, carefree, thoughtless living. You know, the kind of don't worry life that says, I don't want to take anything serious or nothing should burden me. That's not a Christian person. That's not a Christian mindset. And Christ says, don't worry about anything. He's not saying that nothing should give us pause. He's not saying that there's nothing that should be heavy on the heart. Some things require heaviness, soberness, even somberness. Because this world is a dark world. It's full of pain. It's full of trials. It's full of challenges. And the Christian, Christians, we should be way more sensitive to, to things than we often are. And something should worry us. You know, we should be worried for the unnumbered souls that are passing, leaving this world without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be worried. We can feel heavy and anxious about um, certain things, about seeing people suffer and seeing pain and seeing injustice. Um, our own sin sometimes causes us to, be, to feel a sense of heaviness. Now, even those worries we must bring before the Lord, but this is not saying that the believer is never to be in that kind of situation. Because God sometimes brings a dark cloud upon his people, right? This is not saying that Christians are happy-go-lucky, careless folk. Neither does this passage say that believers are exempt from trouble. In fact, the whole tenor of Christ's words seem to indicate that what Jesus is ultimately commending is a trust in God even in the times of trouble, right? This, but this is not a kind of proof text for a prosperity gospel teaching congregation. Prosperity gospel, wherever it's taught, no matter how it's taught, will always be a lie, will always be a, an abuse of scriptural teaching. God has not promised us lives that are free from trials and trouble, and, uh, and, and even less so luxury and wealth. The teaching of the Bible is always godliness with contentment is great gain. The teaching of the Bible is if we have food and shelter, let us be content. The teaching of the Bible is always be, will always be, let your life be free from the love of money because the love of money is the root of so many evils. This passage is not saying that because you pursue the kingdom of God, you know the, 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 the key passage, key verse of this text is verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added. It's not a promise that because you're coming to church this morning, God is going to add all the wealth and all the luxury that you need, that you want this morning. It's not, what it's, it's not what this passage is saying. Believers can suffer. They do go through trials. Believers do go hungry um, and need to be trusting God through that. And, and even though God takes care of his people, God allows his people to suffer under, in his own wisdom. 
And the last thing I'll say is that this passage is not ultimately controlled by your temperament either. All right? So the words of Christ apply to us regardless of what kind of people we are. You might say, I just have a disposition to worry. That's just who I am. I worry a lot. That's true, but hear the words of the Savior. Do not be anxious for what you will eat and what you will drink. You must receive Christ's words and apply them to your lives. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that... I I know that some people struggle with anxiety of of a different ilk and of a different kind, that they wouldn't even attribute to them being concerned for things like that. It's, it's almost a physical ailment, and that will ha- must have its own appropriate treatment, of course. I'm not denying that, and I'm not even saying that Christ is primarily dealing with those kind of anxieties here. What Christ would probably say to that is, even that anxiety, you must, in- you must not be anxious over. You must entrust into Christ's hands. But this passage is not controlled by that. I'm, not a, I'm a worrisome person, so just a, no, you must receive the words of Christ and allow it to change you and transform you. Neither is it controlled by your temperament. If you're not a worrisome person, some people don't worry for anything. They don't care about anything. It just doesn't matter. Heaven and earth is falling down. They're just calm and having fun. But you might not be, you might still not be fulfilling the requirements or you might not be becoming the person that Christ wants you to be in these words because ultimately this passage is saying, don't worry because you're trusting God. Because you trust God. And so if you're the kind of person who says, I don't really worry for anything, nothing really affects me. But is that because you're trusting God? If it's because you're insensitive or careless or lazy, um, then those are not good virtues. Those are, you, there's a problem with you. you. You need to still receive the words of Christ and ask myself, but am I trusting God? Am I truly trusting him? You know, sometimes trusting God might even bring some kind of anxiety, anxious to see his hand, expectant and not allow you to live in a kind of carefree, uh, blasé way type thing. Okay, so those misconceptions dealt with, that that's what not, not what Christ is saying. What is Jesus saying here when he says, do not be anxious for anything? He's not saying, don't, don't he's, not, he's not denying the goodness of thought, or even forethought. He's saying, but anxious thought is not for the Christian. Do not be so preoccupied, and it's clear, you see the words, do not be anxious about your life. What does Christ mean by that? Don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink, verse 25. Not about your body, what you will put on. Don't be anxious for any of those things. Uh, why? Sorry, don't be anxious for any of those things. Don't be preoccupied. Don't be so preoccupied with your physical, material well-being so that all your energy goes into thinking about how you may secure those things and you become burdened by the fear either of not having them, or of losing them. Don't live that kind of life. Don't be anxious for your physical well-being in this world. That's what the Gentiles do, not you as a Christian. Don't be a worrisome person, always worried about whether you're going to lose your money, always worried about where you're going to get the money to buy this, always worried if you're going to be able to live a certain lifestyle, always worried if you're going to be able to offer your children you know, a certain future. Am I going to be able to send my children to a certain school? Am I going to be able to afford um, a certain way of living? Don't be the kind of person that lives for this. And so that, because right here in this passage, there's an there's a interesting kind of overlap between just the thought process. You know, we, when we think of worry, we think of a mind. But there's, a, there's an interesting overlap here between the thought process and how it then affects the use of your energy. Right? So Christ is saying, the kind of person who is taken up by anxiety over this, trying to control these things, crippled by a, a fear of not having these physical things, that kind of person, then subsequently, you can see in the way they live what they pour their energy into. That's why Jesus Christ says the contrast of the trusting person is they seek the kingdom of God because the person who's living that worrisome anxious life will never seek the the, the kingdom of God first because where your treasure is there your heart will be so they're focused on that how many hours they work what um what courses they're going to take so that they can advance in a particular area they just it's all they think about 
Jesus Christ says, that's not for my disciples. That's what Christ means by worrying, trying to control your life, thinking that you have to be in control of the future. The Christian is someone that must always say, I'm not in control of my life. I'm not in control of my future. And so you will see, they will live like it. We'll all agree. If I said, do you all agree that because Christ lives, we can face tomorrow? Because Christ lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, we know that he holds our future. All of you would say a hearty amen. But can, can we see in the way you live? Jesus says, don't live like that, right? Don't be, that's not for the Christian. So why is this wrong for us to live like this? What does Jesus, how does Jesus explain this to us? And that's what, I'm gonna, that's what we're going to spend the next uh, few moments doing that. Four things I want to draw your attention to. Four reasons that Christ gives us as to why we're not to live this way. Why we should not be taken up by anxious worry. And when we, when we press into Christ's argument and, what, and, and, and the basis for Christ speaking this way, that's when we start to see why, why this is a Christian thing. Why only the believer can receive this. Okay? Um, so the first thing, worry denies many aspects of God's character, right? And that's what distrusting God is and what it does. When you distrust God, you're saying God is not who he says he is. Worry denies so many aspects of God's character, and that's the point that Jesus Christ is making here. And let me draw your attention to them. For example, worry denies the fact that God loves or that God is love. Jesus Christ says, you're anxious for all these things, but the, bird of the, the birds of the air are not anxious for these things. And they're not anxious for these things because your father, who is so loving, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you, have, do you not have more worth than the birds of the air? Do you not believe that God loves you that way? Worry denies that God is love, that God is compassionate, that God is moved by our suffering, that God is moved by our challenges. Worry says that God doesn't see what I'm going through and he doesn't care about it, that God will leave me without taking care of me. Denies the love of God. You know, in in Hebrews 13, when the writer of the Hebrews says that we should live content lives, you know what his reason for that is? Why we should be free from the love of money? We have a God who has said he will never leave or forsake. Worry says, I don't trust him. I don't believe that he loves me that deeply. Does God not value us more than he values the birds of the air? The point is, of course he does. He loves you way more than he loves the birds of the air. The birds of the air don't have God as their heavenly father. You and I do. You know, it's sad that in a, there's a world today that obviously denies the, uh, the, 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 the uniqueness of, of humanity, the uniqueness of, 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 of created humanity, and how increasingly the way we speak, is, and it's an evolutionary thing as well, but increasingly the way we speak of humanity, it denies how pristine humanity is in God's creation. But thankfully, the, the Bible delivers us from that kind of, of lie. God values you more than the birds of the air. I remember when I used to, uh, when we used to, when we have our holiday Bible clubs, uh, we have one every, uh, we used to, we, uh, we have one every summer. And when I used to, I used to, I go to the Bible clubs and there used to be a song, there was a song when I first went there, they used to sing a song that said, I'm special is how he started. I'm special. I used to think, okay, this is, I mean, these kids are going to get all big-headed and stuff. And, you know, kids love that. I'm special, right? And, and, but then it went on to be theologically sound because it went on to say something like, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for loving me so much. I know I don't deserve anything. It was grounding this sense of you're being special in the Father's love. Jesus Christ says, do you not know that you are special because the Father has loved you? Are you not of more value? The unbeliever doesn't know that. The unbeliever hasn't seen that the God who gave his son up for you will with him freely give you all things that you need. He gave you his son. He will give you everything that you need. He gave his son to die for me. And do I think he won't give me, um, uh, he won't give me the money I need to pay bills? Uh, he, he, would, I, would I think he won't, he, he won't give me uh, the clothes I need to wear? 
Do I think he won't take care of my tomorrow? He's taking care of my eternity. He loves me. And worry doesn't allow us to rejoice in the love of God. Oh, the deep, deep love. And we lose sight of it. Another thing we deny is his power. The power of God. You see what Jesus Christ is doing in this text. He grounds the reasons for us not worrying in God's sovereignty and providence. God controls the world. It's not the, you see, the birds of the air don't work like us. It's not Jesus Christ saying to us that we need to become lazy and not work like the birds. What he's saying is even though the birds don't work, God is able to feed them. He has the power to do that. This is, this is the God who is sovereign over all these things. He's sovereign over the lilies of the field, the, the wild flowers. And this is how Jesus Christ wants to demonstrate the absolute power of God. God's, Jesus Christ says, you see, uh, the, 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 the flowers of the field, they don't, go to, they don't go to shops to buy clothes. They don't sew. They don't make clothes. They don't go to tailors, nothing like that. But he says, not even Solomon in all his glory, not even Solomon in all his splendor, uh, is as beautifully arrayed as the flowers of the field. Jesus Christ is saying God is, more, is powerful enough to clothe the grass, the flowers, who don't work, who, are not, who, are not, who don't have power. He's powerful enough to clothe them and make them even more beautiful than the great King Solomon. God is powerful. Do you think God is not able to clothe you? Is God not able to provide for you? What, what is it? You think his hand is too short? No, of course not. He's powerful. He's able. And worrying says, I don't know if God can do it. But God can do it. And you know, God's people have proven this right through the ages. I remember, you, remember, you might have heard the story of George Muller. George Muller was a German missionary who did a lot of his missionary work in, in the UK here, in Bristol. And he, he's reputed to have fed thousands of, of orphan children. Thousands of them. Ten thousand of them. Thousands of them he's, he's reputed to have fed. He was no, this, is no, this is a known fact. But the, the, the thing that stood out about how he ran his orphanage, and I'm not even commending this to anybody. I'm not saying you have to do this. But this is what he did. Is he never asked for contributions. Never once. And he, was, he didn't have no job to feed them. He just trusted that God would provide. And so it's told time and time again of times when, you know, there would be no food in the orphanage and he would say, let us pray and ask God to provide. And moments after, people would knock on the door with contributions. God's people know what it is to see God just open doors to do things for them. That's why we have to be very, we have to be mindful of, of those things. It's, it's sometimes a good uh, uh, practice to keep a journal and to write these things. Because the Bible says, don't forget the Lord's benefits. Don't forget when you, your back was against the wall, there was no way out. And it was God who made a way where there seemed to be no way. Right? We've experienced this. I, I know firsthand of this, of a family who, on Christmas Day, they were saying, on Christmas Day, no food whatsoever, nothing in the home. And the father said to the, 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 the mother and to the children, let's just pray together. And they sat down and prayed. This is not, uh, this is not, in the, in, this is not George Muller in, um, in, in 18th, 19th century. This is in this century. That the man says, let's pray. And uh, right after prayer, knock on the door, person has a contribution in hand. On Christmas Day, right? It's not meal because I know you guys are saying, I know this to be true. I know this happened. On Christmas Day. And he said, let's pray. And the, and the, and, and, and the person said, how, how faithful is God? I can trust him to provide. Do you trust God like that? Or do you carry it on your head? You carry it on, you carry it, and you carry all the, all the burden you carry on your head. And now you're, you're in, your, in, your, in your knees in debt because you don't trust the Lord. Because you're not calling on him. But the Bible says our God is able. He's powerful enough. And God wants you, and worry denies that God is powerful, that God is a sovereign king of the universe. It also denies God's wisdom. And Jesus Christ is showing us. Look at God's wisdom and how he designed the birds. He designed the birds in such a way uh, that they would be able to feed 
He can feed them even though they can't labor the way we do. God is wise. He always knows what he's doing. You have to trust God's wisdom. And, and, and your worrying often denies God's wisdom for the place you are in your life today. It denies, the, it denies God's plan for your life. It denies God's wisdom in how he has uh, prepared your tomorrow. It just denies that. It denies God's wisdom. It says, God, you, God doesn't know what he's doing. God in his sovereignty should not have put me in this position. But God is wise. You know what Jesus Christ says? Is not life more than food? And what he meant by that was, if God gave you life, don't you think he will give you the food to sustain it? Is the body not more than clothing? If God could give you, if, if he's given you your body, don't you think he knows that you need the clothing to put on it? God is wise. Don't deny God's wisdom. God knows why you are where you are today. He knows why he wants you to go through those struggles. He knows you why, why he wants you to feel that pinch and feel that, uh, that, that pressure. He knows why. And you have to trust him. O ye of little faith, Jesus Christ says, our problem is we have little faith. We don't look and see just how great our God is and say, I have no, it's, 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 it's beneath me in one sense to be worrying about this now when this is my God. And let me say, friends, what it means is God will often bring us into these positions so he can demonstrate his faithfulness to us. If God was just going to let us always live in abundance and without stress and without trial, what would be the point of Jesus Christ saying, don't worry about it? You wouldn't worry. You wouldn't be living in worry if you had it all. One of the things is very often Christians will be in situations where they're tempted to worry. Christians will find themselves in situations where they can't see how they can keep certain investments secure. They can't see how they can prepare for the future. They, 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 they'll, they'll be in those positions. And it's because God wants to demonstrate to and through us that he is faithful, that he is a wise and loving and powerful God. So the first thing is that worry denies so much of God's character. And the next point follows on because the next point is that worry distorts our witness, our witness to a watching world. It's a logical conclusion. If because of worry we are misrepresenting God, then the God that we offer to the world around us is not going to be the true God. It's going to be an idol. And Jesus Christ um, says as much when he says um, in verse 20, 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. So Christ says, to live with this crippling worry is the way of those who don't know God. To live a life where you take all your anxieties, you carry them, and you lift them, and you think it's your duty to bear them, and you have no one to cast them onto. You know, Peter says, cast all your anxieties on God. But the unbeliever doesn't know anything about that. The Gentile lives that way. But when we start to allow worry to control us, when, all our, when we're, we're always worrying about everything, well, the children of light start to resemble the children of the world. We start to chase the same ambitions. We start to act as though the ultimate priority for unbelievers is also the ultimate priority for us. So here you are in your workplace with a fellow unbeliever, and they have no sense that the same things that control your life, the same things that are central uh, to to them, sorry, they have no idea that the things that are central to them, that are most important to them, are not the things that are most important to you. They, they can't see no difference. I, 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 listen, it'd be a great thing. The, the most important thing would be to be able to have the opportunity to tell people Jesus Christ is Lord, to tell someone about the cross. Absolutely. But very often, our lives open the door for that witness. So we know that in our workplaces, we're not allowed to talk about the gospel. We say that, whatever. Okay, fine. But very often it's our decision-making, the way we're living, that makes an unbeliever say to us, what is it about you? Or, or that makes an unbeliever say, I'm seeing how this Christianity that you profess, because you told me you're a Christian, I'm seeing how it works in your life, how it affects you. Is one of the reasons why our light is not shining in the darkness, because we're, being, we're living lives that are crippled by worry. We have the same ambitions, the same pursuits, 
the same attachment to worldly things, to earthly things that unbelievers do. We chase the bag the same way. We prioritize the money the same way. It controls our mood the same way it controls their mood. We're as apprehensive and fearful of losing investment and stuff as they are. And so the unbeliever is not even alert to any fact that you have God for your father and that you're not living for this world. You're fearing the same things. And the unbeliever thinks we're serving the same God. Because ultimately, you see what worrying does. Worrying is attempting to steal our allegiance to God. To steal it away. And now our allegiance is to stuff. We're worshipping at the idol of stuff. When really we should know that our God is the God of the universe. It distorts Christian witness. If Christians don't strive for the contentment and simplicity that comes from choosing to trust God for everything, we will continue to have a despicable witness to the world. Nothing that the world can see to make us think that we're different from them. Think of it, that one of our greatest means of showing that we belong to Jesus in our generation might be the way we deal with material things, the way we deal with stuff that comes because we know we're not living for those things. Those things don't control us. I don't, I don't trust in them anyway. I trust in the Lord. Right? Uh, but because sometimes, as Christ says, oh, we have little faith. We run the same courses as the world do. And let me say, if you're not a Christian, you see what Jesus Christ says. You don't have God for your father to trust in. One of the signs that you're not a, a man is not truly known God. You might be in church. You might be attending church, you might be listening to sermons, but one of the signs that you haven't truly known God is the way you worry about things and how all your life is under your own control. You haven't entrusted yourself to the hands of God. The Gentiles seek after all those things. And how you know that deep down inside, if you could have all your money and have all your wealth and not have God, you would absolutely take it. Now, you prefer to have both if you could, but if you have one or the other, you'd rather have your wealth. Those are the signs you know. You're not living a life where you're trusting in God. The Gentiles live that way. So worry distorts our witness. It denies many aspects of God's character. It distorts our witness. The third thing that worry does is it derails us, diverts us from our true purpose and ambition. One worry derails us from our true purpose and ambition. When we allow, allow our lives to be crippled by worry for this present world, it derails us from our true purpose and ambition. So Jesus Christ says, as I've mentioned earlier in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, the contrast in the passage seems to be like, rather than worry about the things of this present world, what you will eat, what you will drink, worry about the things of God's kingdom. This is what needs to take up all our worry, the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? The acknowledgement of God's rule in our lives and in the world. That's what should take up your worry, becoming more and more like Jesus. That should take up your worry, a closer walk with God, making sure that I'm living in such a way that I'm demonstrating the life of Christ to those around me. Let that be the thing that you truly worry about. Let those things be your worries, not the investments that you've made. And you stay up all night, you can't sleep because you're worried that you might lose it all. You're worried of, all you do is spend all your, 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 your ability to calculate, your ability to be insightful, your ability to, to plan and put things, you spend all of it thinking about how you're going to increase your bank account. And Christ says, what a waste of the mind. What a waste of the capacity of the mind to worry. Really, you should be focusing on thinking of the things of God. Seek first. In the first place, primarily seek the kingdom of God. And let all those things Take thought for themselves as they will. The rest of these things will be added to you. God knows what you need. He will give that to you. But there's nothing as derailing from the plan for the Christian as for him to be living an anxious life. 
think about the kingdom of God and its righteousness. What's the difference there? Christ said, perhaps what Christ is saying, you think about the kingdom, God's rule and reign, and think about how that reign is demonstrated in the world around you. Righteousness. Um, the, 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 God's righteousness. God's right way of living. Let that be your worry. This, is, this might be why so many of us do little things for God and his kingdom. Where we do little things for Christ. Little and little, we, we, we do so little uh, with our money, with our time, to support the cause of the gospel, to show the light of Christ to others, to sacrifice. Because we have, we, we, we're not seeking first the kingdom. Our efforts and our worry, worries are being put into other things. And now we're not seeking the kingdom first. Friends, have you forgotten that there's only one kingdom that won't pass away? Seek that kingdom first. There's always, and that's why we know there's always more we can do for Christ. You see what Christ says? He says, seek. It requires conscious, intentional effort. Sit down and say, what can I do for the, for the kingdom of God? What can I do to serve Christ better? Where is Christ calling me to use my gifts? But so often, you and I know, we're like the world. We have our, all our 24 hours we have in a day, and so much of it given to worrying to worrying about stuff that God has already promised he will take care of. And there, you know, we're derailed from our purpose. So, you know, years down the line, thank God for his grace, but years down the line, we look back on our lives and why was I chasing all that stuff? And I wasn't chasing growth in Jesus Christ. Why was I chasing all that stuff? And I wasn't being more faithful to uh, my, my local church. Why was I chasing all that stuff? I'm derailed from my true purpose, derailed from true ambition, because Satan's deceived me that something else deserved my energy and effort, when the only ambition worth chasing, worth pursuing, is an ambition for the kingdom of God, an ambition to be more like Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, you're not like the world. You see, for the world, an unbeliever is going to say, well, if I get to the end of my tenure in this life and I've made a certain amount of money and I possess, a, I possess you know, a certain amount of property and I've left a certain kind of earthly legacy, I'm cool and I'm hazy about what happens after this life. I'm hazy about death. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Am I going to face judgment? It does hurt that I won't get to enjoy the stuff I'm leaving behind. But what can I do about that? I'm resolved. And Paul says, this is true if you have such a narrow-minded, misguided view of death and the afterlife. It is true that all you can say is, I eat, drink today, tomorrow we sleep, we go. And so when the unbeliever gets there, although sadly, and they're always, there's always a, a lie anyway, but sadly, they're going to wake up to find that they were so wrong. But when the unbeliever gets there, that's the purpose for which they've lived. They've not been able to make more sense of it than that. But you as a Christian, you do realize that when you have to face that, if you have to face that time that way, where you're saying, how have I lived my life? If, you're, if you face that time where you're, you say, I'm about to go to the afterlife, you're going to regret it so much if you've allowed Satan to deceive you, if you've allowed the love for the cares of this life to drive you to spend all your energy, your intelligence, your money, your, 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 your spare time, invest all of it on earthly things. You're going to regret it so much. You'll hate that. Seek the kingdom of God, a kingdom that's beyond this present world. And worry is trying to steal us from what our true purpose and ambition is. And Jesus Christ says, you know, you need to stop worrying about where this job is going to come from. Trust God to take care of you. Of course, you're going to, you, you tried your best, you apply or whatever. But trust God to take care of that. Stop worrying about it and worry about how you're going to know more about him. And give your heart to that. And that's a worthwhile way of living. You need to stop fixating on how, you know, what these kids are going to be like. And you spend all your time and energy. And, you know, the world say that, don't they? I, I, all I do, I do for my kids. And it sounds pious and it sounds praiseworthy. And I see some of the sense in it. But... Strictly speaking, that's not true for the Christian either. 
All we do, we do for the glory of God. To the extent that that allows us to serve our children, it's great. But living for our children is not going to satisfy. And you have no control over tomorrow. Put that aside, this worrying about what your child is going to grow into. You're not going to, he's not Pinocchio. You're not going to shape him into what he needs to be. Put that aside and worry about what matters, the kingdom of God. So worry denies aspects of God's character, distorts our witness, derails our true purpose and ambition, and lastly, it disturbs our peace. Now, ultimately, of course, God calls us not to worry because, for his glory's sake, because worry distorts his character. Worry means that we're not as involved in the labors of the kingdom as we should be. Worry makes us bad workers in the kingdom. But worrying also disturbs our peace. You know, God loves his children so much, he wants them to have peace in this world. In another passage in the scripture, that's almost as it were a commentary on this verse, an explanation of this verse, the apostle says, not be, the apostle Paul, Philippians 4, says, don't be anxious about anything, similar words to our Lord, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The antidote to Worry is prayer and praise. Then he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. How many of us know little of the peace of God because we don't know what it's like to leave everything to God in prayer? As the hymn writer says, oh, what peace we often forfeit because we continue to worry rather than say, I trust him. He holds it in his hands. He controls it. He's way more powerful, wise, and loving than I could ever be. He loves me more than I could ever love myself. I'll trust him. We disturb our own peace, living anxious lives, tired lives, joyless lives, because we keep worrying. And everything in this passage is also minded to tell us that God wants us to experience his peace. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's a kingdom that cannot be moved. One of the reasons why seeking the things of this present world leaves us feeling joyless and empty is because the things of this world are uncertain. A rich man looks at his wealth and wonders if he's going to lose it all. I look at my fancy car and I don't know if I'm going to be robbed tomorrow. Right? It's so uncertain. These things can be here today and gone tomorrow. But the kingdom of God is unmovable. We have a kingdom that cannot be moved. So when you invest in, the, in God's kingdom, you know nothing can touch your investment. And so you can sleep peacefully at night. Jesus Christ says, in what is almost a common sense kind of um, instruction, he says in, in the last verse of this passage that we've read, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's almost a common sense reason why you should not worry. Because all the worrying in the world that you do, as Christ says, is not going to add an hour to your life. Because you have enough to worry about for today than for you to be worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't control tomorrow. You have issues to focus on today. Because 80, 90% of the things that we worry about don't actually come to pass. We worry about it, worry about it. You worry about this event that you're going to put on and how people are going to feel about it. You worry about this and how people are going to look at you when you get there. And when you get there, no one even saw you. Half of the things that you fear don't actually happen. You worry about this exam all night and how when you pass it, you know, if I, if I, if I fail it, my, my life is ruined. And then you pass the exam. But then you pass the exam and now you're doing something that this exam didn't contribute to whatsoever. You, the, half of the things that we worry about really, they have no bearing on our lives. Worrying is actually just foolish. God loves your peace. You're, you're paralyzed by worrying about tomorrow when you could be doing stuff today. You, you lost out on friendships and supporting other people and improving your own skills in other areas and learning things just because you're occupied by worrying. God wants you to have peace. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added don't worry about it. What a, what, a, what a loving, kind message that God gives. I'll add that to you. Don't worry. Right? God, doesn't want our, God wants us to know his peace. 
and, 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 and for us to demonstrate, for the world to see that. They, they have a peace, a peace about themselves. They're not like the world, always worried about what other people think, controlled by what they have. Deter- they determine the identity by what they have or don't have. No, no, there's a peace that guards us even in the times of trouble, and God wants that to be clear. We are different to the world. Let the peace of God guard your heart. And you know, when the peace of God is guarding your heart, there's a joy about your life. There was a, a couple, uh, they, were, they were ministers. This is in the early 20th century. They, 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 went to, they were ministers, and they had this particular couple in the church, and both were crippled. The wife had been crippled for 20 years. The, 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 the husband, as well, was, was now crippled. In the host, both paralyzed in the home, and they, they, you know, they would go and visit. This, 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 the, this, this pastor and his wife, they would go and visit them regularly. This minister and his wife, they visit regularly. And every time they visited this family, they noticed that this family was just way too happy, way too much peace. Like, this was a, this was a, a, a problem a, a, a serious situation to be in. Why is there so much peace in your home? Why so much joy? And, and, and then the, the husband asked the couple, why, why, why so much peace? Why do you have so much peace, even in light of all your situation? You know what the, the husband said in response? His eye is on the sp- sparrow. I know he watches me. It's a true story, and that's why we have that, that song. His eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches me. We can have peace when we know that the God who watches the birds will take care of us, that God's peace guard our hearts. Let me close them by saying this. I've said this a bit, uh, said it earlier as well. What you need to do in response to this, or what's the antidote to this? What's the antidote to this life of worry? These are marks of trusting that God has sent his son to die for you, and he loves you more than you understand these, these are the marks of knowing that God will never leave you nor forsake you. The first thing is prayer. Don't be anxious for anything. Pray. So in one sense, we, have, we may have no right to claim the peace of God if we're not willing to pray. Rather than worry about the things and the stuff, pray the things and the stuff. Pray and leave them there. Say, God, Provide for us. God, take care of the situation. It's bef- we bring it before you. Hear us as we pray. Amen. And leave it there. And now you're smiling. Why are you smiling so much? Because I'm not carrying that burden anymore. You see, when I was carrying it, so I was sweating. When I was carrying it, my face was all scrounged up. I couldn't smile. I was like, you could see me because the weight was so heavy. But my God tells me to cast all my cares. Fling it on him. Every single law, like throw the burden on him, and you see the little uh, dust or debris that remains, throw that on him as well, like on God, cast it on him, and now I just feel free. He's handing it. But we do that in prayer. That's what we do in prayer. Some of us haven't, we don't taste the peace of God as we ought to because we don't pray as we should. You have a whole book worth of planning and strategy and aims, and, but you don't have a sprinkle of prayer. It's foolish. And it's, it's, it's foolish because you're depriving yourself. Pray. Pray. Don't worry. Pray. Lord, take control. And he will. Prayer is the one thing. The other thing is praise. Give thanks. Paul says in that passage in Philippians, don't be anxious. Pray. Make sure that prayer is sprinkled with thanksgiving. Sing songs of praise to God so you realize just how much you have, just how much God has done. Let words of praise defeat the lies of the enemy who tells you that God has forgotten you or you have no reason to rejoice. No, sing songs of praise. We must be praising people, singing people. When worry is coming upon you, pray and give thanks. Of course, you give thanks not just in singing, but let that be part of it. That's why I was saying to you earlier this morning, be on time to church to sing with the people of God. Do you know how encouraging that could be for someone when they hear God's people singing the songs of 
redemption, the songs of praise, and they realize, actually, life is not going to crush me the way I think it will. They realize there's more to life than the things, the fears that drove me here. There's heavenly things to be thankful for. Sing songs of praise to God. And it doesn't matter, you know, God doesn't care what your voice sounds like, right? You're not performing for an, an audience. God loves your voice, regardless of what, so you can sing that song. You can sing it loud as well, and you can sing it to God, and you can shout songs of praise, and you can say, thank you, and you can say, when all your mercies, my God, my rising soul, when I remember all that you have done, blessed be the name of the Lord. Sing songs of praise so that you're not Screaming out words of complaint. You sing songs of praise. Praise God because he's faithful. Praise him for what he's done for us in the gospel. And then your other antidote. And this is what prayer and praise should lead to is contentment. To be content. You see, the Christian, what we're not saying is that we know when God will overturn our situation. What we're not saying is just God always gives us what we ask for the way we ask for it. What we're saying is I will be content in whatever circumstance God places me, I trust him. Prayer and praise move us out of the place of worry to the place of being content. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus is doing all things well. I trust him, and so I'm content with what he's doing right now. I trust him, and so I'm content with what he will do tomorrow. So I'm not going to be worried about tomorrow because I'm content in him. We trust him by being content. Brothers and sisters, let's hear the words of our Savior with the power that it deserves. Jesus Christ is telling you and me, men and women, old and young, employed and unemployed, married, unmarried, single, whatever stage you are in your life, whatever you're going through, Jesus Christ says, do not be anxious for anything. 